listening to the Trans Narrative Podcast. The Trans Narrative Podcast is dedicated to fostering a safe and inclusive space for the trans community. It provides a platform for trans individuals to connect, share their stories, and find support within their own community. Join me, Caroline Penny, Maria Lackey, Dina Fermakis, Lucy Balzano, and the rotating panel of gender-diverse co-hosts as we strive to create a place where trans voices are heard and celebrated. The Trans Narrative Podcast may contain explicit material, sensitive topics, and discussion. Trigger warnings are provided in advance. My name is Kevin Warner, and I am this host of the Trans Narrative Podcast. Jaron Hammer. Yes. Jaron, or a lot of the community in Denver, Colorado, knows me as Jaja Omai from the House of Hormones. Um, I'm a drag entertainer. I've been one for a long time. Thank you for agreeing to be a guest on the Transcendent Podcast. We're so excited to have you on our show and hear your story. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So this is here, you're an educational professional. Mm-hmm. Yep. What do you do? So I am a student success coach. Um, I work for an education tech company that really has partnerships with different colleges. Um, so my primary client is to work for uh, MICA, uh, the Maryland Institute, Maryland Institute College of Art. Um, so um, I do a lot of I help after the student has deposited and connected with enrollment, and then I kind of help them get oriented at school um, for an online you know platform and i help them kind of navigate any issues that they're having answering questions really doing what i can to support them to help them graduate um specifically for master's programs wow that's really cool so do you see a lot of people that are looking up to you in some ways or is like you're just going through the motions or is it like, how is it like for you? I mean, I feel like oftentimes we're just living our day-to-day lives and being authentic and not necessarily knowing what impact that has on everybody else. Um, But I do remember somebody else in my company like felt comfortable to come out primarily because I was out in the office and, you know, showing up in in dresses and, um, you know, just, just doing what I wanted to do to, uh, you know, feel professional, but also feel like myself. Um, so I know that there's, you know, there, you never really know who's going to respond to you in that way and who's going to, um, you know, find inspiration and in you just kind of living your day-to-day life. Um, but I do have quite a lot of trans non-binary students as well. I think with an art school, I'm kind of privileged in that way because a lot more people get it and I don't get misgendered as much as I would at previous jobs that I've had. Um, So I think for those students, it doesn't matter having somebody that's a part of the staff that's in their corner that also identifies, you know, somewhere outside of the binary or out of, you know, cis normative society. Um, So I do think that there, there is some impact there. I mean, I don't have any like huge stories to share in terms of my students and stuff most of that stuff's confidential anyway uh, oh of course i I'm, i wouldn't be asking oh. for that kind of details regardless <laughs> yeah no 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 no. i i did, wasn't trying yeah. to accuse you of such a yeah, thing I know. <laughs> um but i do think it matters i think you know at the end of the day representation everywhere you go 
always matters. You know, there was, there were people who were living authentically that have inspired me to become myself and who I am today. And I think that is really at the heart of what it means to be queer and how to, you know, help each other become the community that we want to be. Um, and it really all just kind of starts with being yourself. Absolutely. I think a lot of us get like bogged down by, you know, what society or what we think society wants us to be before we realize, you know, maybe this isn't right. This yeah. isn't right for me, you know? <clears throat> Absolutely. Um yeah, I kind of just at a certain point was like, no, I'm not going to do anything to conform to society. And I guess I was kind of always a bit of a of a rebel, a punk kind of kid. I mean, I grew up very heavily in a cult, but I also was like a goth kid in high school. And, you know, I was kind of always had my middle finger up, ready at, ready to attack at society a little bit. Um, so for me, that tra that progression was almost natural in some ways you know mm -hmm. um but i think you still you know even even me being alternative or whatever um you always have this sense of like trying to fit in where you find you know your people and feeling like there's pressure to conform to something whether it's mainstream or not right uh, and I think that just, you know, it comes with time, it comes with age, and it comes with trying to be as honest with yourself as you possibly can be. Absolutely. So tell me about, like, how did that go into Jaja Omai? <laughs> yeah, so drag um, is really how I found myself. When I was in high school, I saw the film Party Monster. And really, that should not be an inspirational movie for you to want to behave <laughs> like the people that you're seeing on screen. But I was thrilled. I was so captivated. I'd never seen anything like it. So I, you know, really found that story of the club kids and them just going out and, and not necessarily, you know, abusing drugs to an extent where murder and things like that are happening. But the the that's, idea that's good. You knew the moderation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there is there is a cautionary tale to what that what that movie, you know, is expressing. Um but yeah, I saw that movie, saw people dressing up like freaks and weirdos and going out to clubs and getting paid and celebrated for it. And I was just like, I'm gonna do that. I was so dead set on doing it. Honestly, and I, I grew up in Montana, and the second I turned 18, there was one gay bar that was like, we're not a gay bar, but we're a gay bar okay. at the time. Anyway, that uh, bar, I don't think is even affiliated gay anymore. But at the time that was like the only kind of gay club in the state and it happened to be where I was living. Um, so I got in contact and got on stage as soon as, soon as I could. Um, literally the year after graduating high school or the year of graduating high school, I got on stage, started doing drag. Um, and it really evolved in so many ways after the years. Um, I was just kind of like singing songs angrily <laughs> at people for the most part, um, you know, in my, in my youth. And, you know, at the time it was what, 2010. Okay. So drag has changed a lot since then. And I was also in Montana with kind of limited resources, pretty small community, um 
So I was definitely not good at track for a very long time. And maybe I'm still not. I'll leave that for other people to to tell me or or uh spread we're, behind my back. We're always our own worst critic. Remember? Yeah, that. yeah. No, yeah. I'm I'm proud of what I do. And you know, there's a reason that I've been doing it for almost mm-hmm. 13 years. You know, I just love it. And it resonates with some people. I know my drag is a bit divisive in some ways. I feel like mm-hmm. people either get it and they they want to connect to it or they're like this is dumb and they're just okay. not because i mostly do comedy stupid stuff i produce my own show called the super tacky dunce pageant now oh my god <laughs> tell me more like it's it's an anti-drag pageant so um it's kind of wait, poking fun at pageantry wait, a little bit an anti-drag pageant anti-pageant drag is probably maybe the better way to phrase it because it's not about anti-drag it's a okay that's i yeah i wanted to be clear about what this was i was like uh (laughs) saying drag is sorry i left my my maga uh, hat in the other okay (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you're having a pageant about how bad drag is no it's like no it's like an anti-pageant it's just kind of anti okay performers a place to be silly and weird and um you know it's it kind of bore out for me there was there used to be a show on the scene here called weirdo and weirdo was really about who can be the weirdest person of the night and if you win you get a cash prize and stuff you know um and then you know covid unfortunately took that bar and that show never came back to full capacity and then it just kind of fizzled out altogether and i felt like there really wasn't a stage anymore for people to really get weird with drag you know and yeah. i really wanted to provide that and 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 bring that um back into the community here so it's kind of it's it's making fun of pageantry in the sense that like the grand prize is a dunce cap made out of paper um uh, a rubber chicken and 75 dollars cash okay <laughs> um, and then we do like a, a question and answer like a pageant but it's wrong answers only so i want you to give me the biggest bullshit answer you can come up with okay on the fly for those questions they do a runway mm. and they have a themed performance so we just had a blasphemy themed one so everybody you know really aired out their religious trauma and <laughs> yeah. kind of got down and but the space that we were throwing that show in two days later um flooded about 18 feet of water <laughs> Um, mm. down into the basement where we were performing and so the joke is kind of that our blasphemy brought that on god is <laughs> oh god is angry um so now we're looking for a new space to get that 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 show back up and okay. running yeah um, but hopefully that can soon and you put that yeah, out there it's a monthly show i'm confident we can find another venue you know yeah. there be a month gap again maybe but it's not going anywhere. I am dead set on my show not going anywhere. I think. Yes, keep I making think the that happen. Needs it to some degree, and I need I, I need it as an artist. You know, I've been doing drag a long time, and finally having my own show and being able to have some creative control over it, and you know, really kind of feel like I'm leaving you know, at least my mark on my city. You know, that matters to me a lot, and I just want to be able to. I don't know, just be a positive influence in the community here. And I think that's, you know, really at the part the, the heart of drag is if you're not here to foster community, I don't think you should be a part of it. 
if you're just in it for the attention and all those things, yes. which like, of course we are attention whores. I mean, if you're in drag, you obviously love attention oh, in my opinion, here. but it needs to be are. about something larger than yourself. And, you know, that's something that was really built right. into me from doing drag in Montana is we, every show in Montana was for charity. Most of the time, our tips mm. even went to the charity. We didn't make a dollar. I was traveling the whole state booking hotel rooms, you know, doing all those things. And we're all just raising money for charity. I never made any money until I came to Denver. Um, so I don't know. That's trying to, trying to keep that going in some way. Well, also now it's nice sometimes to make a dollar after having spent so much time, money and, and energy into my art without yeah. getting anything back. You know, I, I do think it's good to have some paid spaces. Denver's expensive. Most drag entertainers I know don't have excessive funds you know so i do want to be able to offer those booking fees but i do want to be you know celebrating my community and building each other up in that process and you know things can get toxic real fast in the drag community as anybody who's a part of any drag community in the country knows once there's drama shit gets on fire and generally mm -hmm. i try to stay out of it unless i feel like it's really warranted you know there are times that i've certainly popped off or mm -hmm. um come for somebody that i felt like you know wasn't being a positive influence in the community um and when it gets personal it gets personal but um at the end of the day i still you know really want community to come together and celebrate our weirdness and and have a good time and, and laugh through all the hard bullshit. So that's why I really wanted a comedy show. Comedy is kind of where I shine artistically as well. And, you know, I just want people to have a laugh because the society that we're in is pretty toxic in so many ways. Um, you know, don't have to get into the, the political landscape we're in and climate change. The world is on mm. fire and most of my community is disenfranchised and struggling and just trying to get through the day to day. And at least you can come down and laugh for a minute. You know, it makes the week feel like it wasn't so shit, you know, if yeah. you laugh at the end of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I think that that's a lot of the, the walking wounded that we, we all are mm -hmm. is we have to make light in some way, shape, or form because it's too heavy if you just let it drag you down. And so you just, you have to. We're creative people, and, and that's the thing that we've always been, no matter what's been happening around us. And yeah. we'll continue that way. Yeah, and I think that's where drag really fits in is, you know, kind of taking the piss out of it, you know, being the the kind of jesters almost in some cases for the community. I know drag isn't all comedy, you know, there is certainly, you know, you got your classic beauty pageantry and, you know, people are taking things a little seriously as well. Not my style, but I still love and celebrate it. I think it's a huge part of our culture and where we've come from. But, you know, for me, I guess coming from, you know, being inspired by club kids and stuff, it really is, you know, just taking the piss out of things a little bit and, yeah. and not taking life so seriously for a minute. And, you know, that's that's just really important to me. Um, yeah. So tell me about between Montana and Colorado. Like, what was the biggest cultural mm -hmm. difference between 
those two or wasn't there i mean i i don't yeah it's definitely mean. very different um it felt a lot more punk almost to be doing dragon montana because there were so few of us and it's a very red state and you're definitely in a lot more danger being in public in drag um and i think especially now that the culture wars are are fully on um i left before that all started but i saw drag getting bigger and bigger and bigger in montana and that community really grow and thrive and culture war started and it's not like they're getting shut down but it's definitely scarier for them um i think there's certainly you know we have our own shit in colorado i mean we had the club q shooting uh, yeah. i performed at club q before um mm. but generally speaking it's a lot safer i'm in a populated city where people kind of see a little bit of everything um so it's shocking to people to see me on the street and drag walking to my gig um and you know montana was able to you know pass laws targeting the drag community um whereas i don't have that difficulty here but i would say one thing that i really celebrate about the montana community a lot less drama it's a lot more about family and bringing the community together and really lifting each other up there is certainly some of that in denver mm-hmm. but i think with it being such a saturated scene um there's just a lot more room for drama a lot more room for you know negative people coming into the scene to kind of start some shit yeah. um, but i also didn't really find myself until i moved here because there was so much more representation so many more people being themselves i didn't identify as non-binary in montana it took moving here and seeing non-binary people living their authentic truth on a day-to-day life and um you know just really saw them shine and i think that helped me realize oh that makes so much sense because i was kind of resistant to the idea of non-binary when i first heard about it i was kind of like there are two restrooms and you gotta mm-hmm. pick one. So you're just putting yourself at further risk and confusion to general society by identifying as non-binary. And that was my mindset in Montana. So mm-hmm. I was like, no, I'm a gay man that does drag and that's that's it for me. And then after moving here and starting understanding more and more about why I'm attracted to drag, why I've always felt uncomfortable to some extent identifying as male and trying to fit into a society that tells me what male needs to be and the dysphoria that comes along with that in a, in a, in a societal sense, more so than a physical sense. And there just came a point where it really clicked for me and I was like, Oh shit. I actually do really click with that. And even though I know I'm going to be putting myself a little bit further at risk and, um, you know, in some ways making my life a little bit harder, it also set me free and made me realize, you know, this is me. And I don't feel like my, my life really started going the direction it needed to go until I came out as non-binary and started just living my day-to-day life authentically. I think there's nothing that you can, you can trade that for priceless being your authentic self yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. so denver has really shaped me but i feel like montana shaped me as well i mean um as much as i'm i'm legitimately scared to even go back and visit um oh wow it's just it's a very republican state there's guns and i look queer from several blocks away um so 
especially at least while the culture wars are raging on, um, I'm definitely intimidated by it. Um, I wish I wasn't. I used to be scared of nothing. But right now I'm kind of like, I would like that stuff to cool down a little bit before I even go back and visit home because I wasn't living a trans life back then. And it was still kind of sketch. Right. And I think that that can make it seem like we're, I mean, at least for me, this feels like, oh, is this what it felt like back in the Civil War? Mm. That's what I feel. Like, obviously, like, I understand that, like, logically, you know, that if, like, I just walk on my own to, you know, um, not to, obviously, I would would die before I get to Montana, (laughs) but, um, but be in Montana I mean, my cousin lives there. One of my cousins lives there with her kids and her family, but they're not queer. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's weird. Like, you know, she invited me to their ranch and I mean, it was great, you know. And I'm thinking if we were isolated on this bubble in Montana, great. I don't know how I'd feel about going to get breakfast with you and the family. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of it, right? Because it is such a red state. And even though I look very masculine presenting, I'm less of a target. I can honestly say the hardest thing I've done in my life is catfish by Laverne Cox. But (laughs) (laughs) um, Laverne Cox Cox in quotes, okay? So I would... Had no communication with her, actually, unfortunately, yet. But I I got it. Um, and someone preyed on a member of the community. And I don't know who it was. I have no idea if this person was, was gay or trans or whatever. Um they obviously looked up to Laverne Cox enough and saw something in me that maybe connected the two of us and her brain. And there we were. It's so weird. Cause I had like a Laverne Cox sort of situation. I never met her or anything like that. I just knew somebody in Montana that, so that they were connected to her and that we were going to work on a documentary. I got all excited oh, wow. part of this documentary and then it just kind of went nowhere. And I was like, okay. Um, so I don't know how real that was either. Maybe it was but the same person, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe it was that same person. what they I, did, you know, <laughs> I don't even remember his name to be honest, but I don't either. You know. I mean, obviously. Yeah. But I mean, this person was Laverne Cox and I obviously did. <laughs> I mean, we, was, do love, we do love Laverne. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm really proud of how much the Montana community has really fought back. I kind of feel saddened to some degree that I wasn't a part or present in that fight okay. to some degree, I think, because we, we were all kind of fighting together when I lived there. And then, you know, I eventually was like, after I got out of college, I was like, I, I, I can't keep staying in Montana. I just... Yeah. It's hard. It doesn't. It doesn't resonate with me. I don't feel right here. I never did. I just felt like I needed to get my degree there, 
while I was in in state tuition and stuff like that. And then it took me a very long time to accomplish my bachelor's. (laughs) Um, So I I know what that, I know what that feels like. Yeah, I definitely took the the seven year path um, mm-hmm. with all the breaks I took to to get there. But you know, I, we we live in a society that makes education hard to achieve. I mean, I was working full time pretty much the entire time I was in school and um, taking a full time course load, and also mentally ill and not fully at peace with who I was as a person. And you know, it was just a lot of things. So it was difficult for me to get through that time. Um, Sure wish I'd paid more attention to my mental health and worked that out before I came to Denver, but. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But you did and you're here and you're thriving, right? Yes. Yeah, I really, I really am. That's the important part. Yes. Um, I think everybody still has their struggles and stuff, but, um, you know. Who doesn't? Who's who's never been on the struggle bus? Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's (laughs) part of the human experience and especially the queer experience is, having to be a part of that struggle bus because we don't, you know, fit into mainstream society. And that comes with, you know, so many toxic things, so many feelings and, um, you know, feeling like you don't belong or fit in. And, and I think there's just a shared trauma. I remember coming to that realization of like, why is every queer person I know so filled with trauma? And it's because we all have a shared trauma at the end of the day. Um, the, the so, epigenetics that's what yeah. it's called and it's you know it's been studied i mean not so much in queer circles but in african-americans and that's some heavy shit that um like i've never been assaulted i've never been but i have fears i feel, i have thoughts i have fears that like yeah, how do I know that I'm not going to be walking at night, especially when I was mid-transition? Mm-hmm. And someone's going to look at me, someone else is going to look at me, and I'm going to just be done. Like, I, you know. I... Absolutely. I think, you know, it's it's frustrating because in order to avoid some of those fears, you either have to pass, which you're still under the fear of what if somebody finds out right you know or you know in my case being non-binary i just look queer you know i look and sound queer that's just me every single day because i don't expect myself to ever pass that's not my goal Mm -hmm. um and so that kind of just kind of always puts me a little bit as a target you know but i still am very adamant about like i'm not gonna live in a queer bubble Mm -hmm. i go to a straight bar on the weekends you know right by my house that's you know it's probably a bit republican in there (laughs) to my understanding but i certainly heard some shady i mean but you're able to go in there have a drink and enjoy yourself right and know that like if there is an asshole there's enough other people in the bar that are not assholes that are gonna have my back and i still have my taser on me so Mm -hmm. you know in some senses just because of you know the way that queer folks are a larger target when we're in groups I almost feel safer going to straight bars. I'm not going to ever not feel not safe enough to participate in my community and show up at queer bars. Absolutely. But I remember telling other queer people, I'm like, Oh yeah, I go to the straight bar for karaoke on the weekends and stuff. And they were like, you be safe. And and I was kind of like, I always kind of laughed about that a little bit. I'm like, yes, like I understand the fear and like that I should be safe, but 
you know, if you really get down to it, I don't think going to a straight bar is any less safe than going to a gay bar, unfortunately. Well, it I mean, feel safe, it, but... it, again, it depends on where you are. Mm-hmm. And if you're in an area, like, I mean, I, you know, I'm in Ypsilanti here in Michigan, and I know we're one of the safe havens, and I know we're, we're in our bubble here, especially in Ipsy. It's right next to Ann Arbor, one of the most liberal cities in the world, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but here in Ipsy, um, I went to a pub, Powell's pub. Now, I actually got stopped in there about a restroom during my mid-transition, you know. But Mm -hmm. my roommate at the time, one of my friends, was like, he's okay. Let him go. Like, let it, you know, you know, and never was a problem again. You know. But still that moment is like... It was still scary. Yeah, absolutely it is. And I've been there since. Um, Not very many times, just because I'm more of a dive bar and I, you know, Mm -hmm. my... (laughs) I don't really go out that often regardless. But it's in a place that at least I know it may not be my scene, but I'm welcome there and especially karaoke. I mean, you're there to sing. Yeah. I think exactly. you're all there for a joint experience. Yeah. Of- that's nail on the head, how I feel about it. You know, like, I don't feel like I'm in my scene. I definitely feel to some degree out of my element, but I've been coming there for so long. People know me, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're used to me there. You know, they're still every once in a while I overhear that somebody had said some shit or I straight up, over here at myself mm. um but nothing that's ever made me feel like oh i'm not not welcome here or not n- not safe here okay. um i still definitely have my taser because i know mm. all it really takes is one asshole to get some shit going you gotta be careful i'm guaranteed to be an asshole around you <laughs> so um but i think that's true in any environment you know i mean you just have to do what you can to protect yourself and stay safe and um but I think, you know, not letting yourself live in fear and feeling like you have to be trapped in your house is so important to your happiness and also just for visibility. I mean, I think there's quite a few folks that I've interacted with at that bar that have never met a trans person. I haven't had that conversation before. And, you know, I get misgendered in that bar constantly. You know, I'm not, I either get he or she, you know, nobody remembers or really cares to ask if I'm they, Um, you know, and I I just kind of let that go because that's not really the starting point of, you know, I, I find when you're meeting somebody who's coming from a very different walk of life from us, starting the argument about pronouns is not really where we want to start. Let's start on the topic of us just being people. Uh, and kind of work from there and if they care enough they'll get your pronouns eventually you know is is how i feel that's wonderful um but yeah i i go to karaoke every week at a at a divey straight bar where people smoke inside and (laughs) yeah that'd be that'd be my turn off right there smoking inside (laughs) i used to smoke so i love that bar because i could smoke inside and now i can't (laughs) smoke because i developed a horrible asthma so kids don't smoke um yeah i I have asthma it's bad yeah 
I just smoke the green stuff. That's you know, I can't even smoke that anymore. Uh, oh man, yeah. I have an immediate asthma attack. It's unfortunate. I just mm. abused my lungs too much through my twenties. Yeah, no, you gotta be careful. That's yeah. what you gotta be careful with. Yeah, <laughs> stop inhaling things. Yeah. <laughs> moderation is the key it is it is i definitely lived a life of excess and you know i think that comes with you know party monster stuff and, and needing needing vices to get through yeah. life sometimes and party 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 monster <laughs> well yeah. i would be my favorite movie for that because that yeah. movie changed my life completely mm-hmm. no i i can imagine um i guess I'm. I think I've just seen um, Macaulay Culkin too much in my life as Kevin McAllister, um, yeah. number one and number I two. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and also people tell uh, people say that my spouse looks a little bit like Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> yeah, but um, for you. <laughs> but not from um, Party Monster as much. But I don't know. It's it's like. It's weird, um, but I do like Party Monster. I do remember liking it. It just wasn't a defining, but I can understand why it's a defining film. Yeah, I mean, especially it was for people time. in a generation. Yeah, I mean, it was just the first time I'd seen anything like that. You know, mm-hmm. and, um, I was already kind of an oddball, and seeing people being taking that oddness to a new level that I had never seen or witnessed was like, wow, I could do that. And yeah. I would thrive doing that. And so, I don't know. I just have fun making kooky looks. Yes. <laughs> doing my what, quirky thing. I don't know. What's your, like, go-to songs usually for karaoke? I'm always interested. For karaoke? Uh, I have a very long list. I really like doing Origin of Love from Hedwig and Angry Inch. Um, that's yes, yes. That's one of my top favorites. I love basically anything by Amy Winehouse. You know, I'm okay. Good. Is a go-to for me. There's a couple songs by GRL I really like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I throw in some Pat Benatar. Hit me with your best shot. You know? Oh yeah. There's definitely. I, I have a pretty long karaoke list. I just I grew up as a choir kid. I was the goth choir kid in high school um and i just love to sing so karaoke is a good opportunity and drag as well i sing live for drag i write parodies and oh my god uh, they perform those live a lot too um i just did a parody of toxicity um from system of a down do you <laughs> or, have like a link to that like is that the only one that i have recorded properly is i think it's on soundcloud okay um, it's a parody of um what is that song? It was one of the first ones I ever wrote. Um, I, I can't even think of it right now. Oh, I'm sorry. Totally I was blanking. like, no, you're good. I'm totally blanking. Um, it, oh, it's Secrets by Miranda Lambert is the parody, okay. the parody of that okay. song. Um, but it's called I Don't Care, I'm a Pervert. And it's a very <laughs> dirty song. Um, really just about being like, you know what, I'm not going to live a life of being ashamed of my perversions or whatever. And there's definitely an element in that song of like, I'm just saying gross stuff just to gross you out a little. I really liked when that was one of my early parodies and I loved the shock factor, especially when I was performing in Montana, you're mostly performing for straight people. And so you can make a really dirty joke and they're like, oh my God, I've never heard that before. And the gays are like, another fisting joke okay right you know like mm-hmm. they we've heard it all 
but the straight people were always just like oh gas it, it, it fits on two different levels you know yeah so i think that that spirit of you know just kind of fucking with people a little bit i are we allowed to cuss on this show <laughs> um i'm not sure so we'll see if we have to edit that out i will stop uh immediately yeah <laughs> um, no, i i mean no i think there's some explicit ones so fuck it you know okay perfect yeah, everyone um, should have a good fucking time but yeah i i definitely you know especially early on my my parodies early on were very very dirty um I kind of became in Denver known as the Scott Queen. <laughs> I have a giant poop outfit and I do a parody of Bad Guy called Scat Guy from Billie Eilish. Okay. Um, I just dress up like a big old poop and I sing to people and uh, okay. it's very divisive. People are either having a laugh riot or they're real uncomfy. It's yeah. Like, but um, I don't know. I just, I like writing parodies and making people laugh and making people a little uncomfy sometimes <laughs> no i love it like i was just thinking like there should be um a better version of randy rainbow a more diverse mm. do you know who randy rainbow i is? know who randy rainbow is yeah. i i don't vibe <laughs> you don't you don't i don't okay. know why i just no, there's it, something about randy rainbow my spouse like, is the same cheesy. right no i understand it's I only love it because, like, I'm a Broadway baby. Like, mm -hmm. I was raised in musicals. Musicals taught me a lot of things. I'm writing a musical about Stonewall. Yes. And for me, it's like, oh, oh my God, you're saying exactly what all of us are feeling, and you're saying it in song, and you're doing it beautifully timed, and you're just so amazing. Yeah. But I also know that, not like... Not talent at all it's like it's easy to do like what he does is easy to do when you have the connections or you make the connections that you are able to to jump off that and he was like i mean a white number one jewish gay man mm -hmm. white becomes first over jewish and even gay yeah so i understand that yeah i don't know i just i i guess for me i like a little bit more grunge yeah uh, a little bit more well, totally. he's grit. he's definitely clean um, yeah he's he's on the he's on the clean side for sure mm -hmm. but um got nothing against him i definitely kind of want to get you know a little bit more in that direction of you know, I want to get my parodies recorded. I want to have a parody album. That's what I'm saying. Like, I want, I want to, you. To... I want to make music videos with my partner. My partner oh, has a an animation background, so oh. together, I think we can create some cool stuff. We just haven't. Gotten you it can off be the like the yet. trans Randy Rainbow, like <laughs> Shaja Oh My, like parody songs. Like, I'll be Trandy Rainbow. Jandy. <laughs> Andy Rainbow. Well, I think that's the only thing is like the only reason that works is because that's his actual name. Yeah. 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 Um, but um but think of something. Like I'm sure you can think of some some really cool name for this. Yeah, I mean there's you definitely know, gonna be a way to go. I'm probably gonna like, keep everything under Jaja Oma. Jaja, Jaja. I've been performing under that for so long. I mean I've Jaja's so Cha Cha. Times, 
about changing my drag name because yeah no don't cha cha is amazing i'm thinking cha cha oh my is amazing that's how you pronounce it right you're you're correct yeah people either give me yaya or i always say if you're latino it's ha ha oh my and if you look at it spanglish (laughs) it's a pun then cha cha oh my yeah jaja oh my and oh my the hormones and now it's jaja oh my hormones but oh i love that jaja oh my hormones yeah like, uh, is that how it's pronounced said like in your thinking yeah yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. are we just i often say I jaja that. Oh my from the house of hormones because i feel like it's a little long <laughs> jaja oh my from the house of hormones yes <laughs> yes uh, i love just it found a collective of weirdos that i really vibed with and you know ended up joining and i don't know i just really wanted i always wanted a drag family i just never felt like a drag specific family ever really resonated with my art in a specific way and when i really got connected to this group of performers it just made a lot of sense and most of them are a lot younger and i felt like you know here's my opportunity to kind of pass things on that i know and 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 help build them up but i kind of find the reverse is all happening they're just building me up so much um it's been a huge blessing for me to to be a part of this this troop of um non-binary and trans primary performers what is this troop called the house of hormones it is the house of hormones oh yeah yeah but it's spelled like horror and moans (laughs) okay very cool yeah um but yeah that's that's my drag family and i think being able to get connected to a drag family is is just huge you have just such a, a different level of of support that i never had until i joined one i mean i did drag for over 10 years before i found a a family that can be tough I mean, there was definitely still people I consider family, you know, there oh, were right. yeah. and stuff in Montana that will always be, you know, a sister to me or a brother to me in some way, but it wasn't like a, an official house, you know? Mm-hmm. So tell me a little about like Mormon, mm. and, like, I was wondering where we're coming, to... coming from that. I figured let's get into the fun stuff. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And then talk about Mormon. Well, I grew up very heavily Mormon. My parents are very, you know, ultra conservative Mormons. Um, And I just grew up feeling very disconnected from it, but also still being forced to do it. Um, And I really, you know, never liked it. I knew I was queer from a very young age. And, you know, there's really not not room to be queer and Mormon. I mean, they've changed over time. I did a whole um research essay in college about it about how that narrative has changed within the mormon church and it went from like you know absolutely of the devil essentially to um now what we have today is just like it's okay to be gay as long as you never act that way and as long as you never act on your feelings or have a gay relationship or and i'm just like you're just telling us to not be happy at the end of the day like that we're not worthy of love. And my mom always told me, you know, that she didn't want me to have a relationship after I came out and that I should, you know, just live a life of celibacy. And that was what she wanted for me. And that was heartbreaking to me. It was like, you know, hearing from your own mother that you don't, you don't want me to be happy. Um, So there was that and there's just kind of the cultiness of it. You know, kids at school always told me I was in a cult and I would defend my pa- my family and be like, it's just a religion. It's just a religion. Even as like a goth kid that hated Mormonism, absolutely, mm-hmm. I would defend that it was not a cult. And then as I got into college and really started doing a lot of cult research, I think because I was 
spending my college years to really understand my trauma. Um, As most of us do. Yeah. I mean, I researched Mormonism and a lot of other cults and I came down to the conclusion, oh yeah, Mormonism is absolutely a cult. Um, So now I very much will spout that everywhere I go. Um, But yeah, I just, I don't really have a lot of connection with my family anymore. I have a couple siblings I talk to. Um, I don't talk to my parents at all. Um, and that was really more my decision than theirs. I think I kind of broke their heart with that decision, but I realized every time I talk to them, it just doesn't feel like we're ever going to come to a place where we can have a real relationship that isn't built on us walking on eggshell shells for each other, both directions, because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I can't have a conversation with them without Mormonism and God being brought into the conversation in some way. They can't have a conversation with me without being like, I'm doing drag shows and I'm doing this and this is what's going on in my life. And they're just kind of like always awkward about that. I realized we were never going to have that authentic relationship that I wanted. And most of our interactions just turn into us hurting each other over and over and over again. And I felt like, you know, I spent the better part of my 20s and, you know, of course, my teenage years trying to get them to understand me, trying to find some middle ground, trying to find, you know, a bridge for us to meet on. And I just never felt like it got that way. I, you know, kind of put my foot down and was like, you know, the way I was treated in this church and the isolation that I felt growing up in it was really unfair to me. And it was very hurtful. And I asked for an apology for that and was not able to get that apology. And I was like, well, that tells me all I need to know. And I would no no longer like to have a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has really set me free in so many ways. It really has. I know it's it's hard to not have your family in your life and stuff, but for me, it was harder to have them in my life. And that's why queer community is so, so, so important to me because that's really become, you know, my family. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of my guiding thing with um, how I was raised and what wanted what I wanted to do with what I want to do, um, you know, with creating Stonewall is show the queer family, show how important that is to people who did not have that were not privileged to have parents that didn't fail them. Yeah. I'm almost still like, as much as I like, I'm so happy that, you know, there are a lot of parents who are, you know, very different now in this era that we live in, where you have, you know, queer, trans, whatever kids that are growing up in families whose parents fully love and support them. And I'm like, that's so great. However, mm-hmm. there's also literally this kind of like, you don't know how hard it is, kid. You have no idea what the rest of us had to go through for you to have that. Um, And that's not the right attitude to have about it at all. Um, And I check myself when I catch myself feeling Mm -hmm. that way. But um, yeah. I mean, because you honestly have no control. You have no control over other people. And that's the root, unfortunately, of it. And sometimes parents fail the children. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just, it really came to a head where I was like, this is not healthy for me. And it was really during COVID that I had all that more time to reflect. And, you know, I ended up just being like, this is, this is kind of it for me. Maybe we'll come back to it. Maybe we won't. And, um, 
every time I reconsider and rethink that through whether or not I wanted to open that door again, it just kind of mm-hmm. reaffirmed for me that like, no, I want to keep it closed. I really yeah. feel like um, just more freedom from, you know, their expectations from trying to dumb myself down for them. And um, I don't know. Now I just feel like I can, I can live freely and say and do whatever I want, whatever I feel is appropriate and not have to worry about how somebody that comes from, you know, the antithesis of, of my life, um, how they feel about it, you know? And I really, that like, you know, the person that they wanted to me was me to be is never who I'm going to be. And the person that I want them to be is never who they're going to be. And it just makes sense for us to kind of part ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's part of almost too growing up in Mormonism was why it was so hard for me to come to terms with non-binary, um, because it's such a gendered culture it's so rigid it's very rigid you know the boys have their thing the girls have their thing and it's definitely misogynistic in so many ways you know men get the priesthood and women get to be housewives and it's shameful if your wife is working and you know things like that where it's kind of like well this is clearly not equal (laughs) um but yeah i mean i never felt like i could live up to the expectations of what a man was supposed to be in that environment by any means. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think as much as I fought against it growing up and stuff, there's there's still those things that have like creeped through that, you know, you, you have to realize about yourself that you're like, well, shit, that did affect me. That did change my life in so many ways. And maybe it's time we unpack that. (laughs) Mm Yeah. I mean, one of my songs from Sonoma is called Stories of Our Soldiers. And it's about listening and getting the wisdom from our queer elders wherever we can. It's so important for us to have that. I think especially with like the AIDS epidemic and um, AIDS crisis, you know, we lost so much of our, you know, queer forefathers. Um and a lot of us don't have great examples, especially in the trans community, of what it's like to age <laughs> as a trans person. You know, I mean, I mean, the, the average life expectancy of trans people is what, 35? Um, so finding somebody who's in their senior years that's, you know, living authentically trans is so rare. And it's so important for us to have that so we can, you know, see a future for ourselves and 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 have some level of role models of you know people we want to live up to um and you know i just think the next generation is going to have a lot more of that because we're going to keep fighting we're going to win this culture war mm-hmm. um it's just going to take some stupid time that i don't want to i don't want to go through all the fighting but we have to fight um mm-hmm. and we'll get there i think the culture overall has really changed a lot since you know i was in high school but and you know, I'm, I'm just curious, like, a new cause to attack us. When was that high school? When when did you grow up? Um, so I was born in 1992. Okay. So high school years for me was like 2006 to 2010. Okay, that's kind of what I thought. Um, because yeah, we're like about 10 years apart. Oh, okay. And um. 
I assume we were a similar age. So now I'm trying to figure out which direction that 10 years goes. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're younger than me. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> and it, it, it gets better. It does. It honestly does. And that's the thing that I think you're a testament to is that, you know, you had to give up your, on your family because they failed you not the other way around. And I think that we have to remind ourselves of that. And you fought and you found family. That's why I like to say found instead of chosen more. Um, not to get into semantics here, but... but let's get into semantics. <laughs> right. I mean, chosen implies you had a choice. Like you were like, you know, like I think I'll be queer yeah just for the fun of it you know and oh look at all these exciting awesome people i think i'll be friends with all of these people you know and you don't just get to pick your friends that way like you you just find them i i think the uh the semantic difference is important there versus found like you were you were lost yeah your your blood family like deserted you in some way shape or form i mean it might be a supportive parent but maybe they don't know how to be supportive and so they're letting you down by using the wrong pronouns or you know dead naming you Mm -hmm. like their heart's in the right place but they just don't know how yeah like that's a category too absolutely yeah, I know a lot of folks who have that kind of relationship with their family. And, you know, I'm just not an advocate for like, you got to disown your family to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm an advocate for, you know, if that makes sense for you, then right. that's something that you should, you should consider is putting yourself first and not worrying about their expectations anymore. What do yeah. you want out of this life? And, um, you know, I think that was a big part of why I moved to Denver was to try to like find my community that way. And, kind of had a rude awakening about it at first my first year here was pretty tough you know I kind of just thought I was gonna like be welcomed in and like find my chosen family and everyone was gonna welcome me in with the uh grand applause there was a a lot of naivety that came into that and realizing that you know everybody's already got their clicks everybody's already got their friends and you have to try to figure out how to get you know your way in there to find people and a lot of that just comes with time you know yeah I've really developed a strong community and a strong family in Denver to where, you know, if I ever had to leave, that would be very scary for me almost of, of um, having to rebuild that from the ground up um, because, you know, these people are very important to me. And, um, but Denver's also a very expensive and difficult place to live sometimes. So I don't know. I don't, who knows what the future holds there, but. Yeah, I think a lot of the the pricing out shit has to stop too. And that's another issue that kind of winds in to our community is the pricing out. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, great, you build these fancy homes that no one here can afford. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some like tech person in some major tech job is going to be remote and 
they can go wherever. So, mm -hmm. right. Like, it's gentrification in an insane degree. Like, we've never seen it yeah, before. Yeah, absolutely. Because queer people already have less access to, um, you know, good, solid employment. Yeah. It's already a, a, a bigger battle to climb there. So, you know, a lot of the queer folks I know aren't making a lot of money to live in a, a city that is continually getting more and more expensive, but we also can't afford to leave the city for our safety. Right. Um, so it's kind of that catch 22 where you're just kind of trapped almost. Um, and I, I mean, I just hope that things can change. Um, you know, and I, part of what I feel good about is where, where I've gotten in my career is at least showing that like you can be authentic and and get somewhere um i hope my career doesn't stop where it is i definitely want to keep growing and stuff but i think there's not a lot of representation there of like you know in an office sort of environment that there's just trans people living their truth um and i think there's a lot of fear of that where you know people are hesitant to transition to come out because they're afraid that their economic situation is going to completely change. And in many cases, that's true, but yeah. um, it's also something that you can fight through and you can find a place where you can be authentic and, and thrive. Um, but it's not always easy to find that. I'm sure there's a, a strong level of privilege and opportunity that came my way that I was able to jump onto that, um, you know, it was a lot of luck. Um but also there was a lot of things I did to fight through that, you know, it was not easy for me to get, get the degree. It was not easy for me to, um, I don't know, to, to move to a new city and find, find out what I was going to do with my education and where I was going to go with it and all those things. But there's certainly a level of privilege at the same time. And I totally recognize that. I mean, you're essentially a, political refugee in your own country I don't, you're not wrong um because if i did feel more accepted in montana i wouldn't feel so much like i had to leave um you know and i do miss some of the community that was there because i thought there was such a purity um to the kinds of people the way that the community was built in montana um felt more grassroots but i just never felt like i really belonged and most of your community is kind of spread out across the state instead of, you know, having somebody down the street or in the same city mm -hmm. as you, um, you know, so a lot of the people that I really cared about, you know, live three hours away and that's not really like accessible for, you know, needing somebody to talk to and, and hang out with after a stressful day or whatever. Right. Yeah. And celebrate our lives instead of those we've lost. I think both yeah. things are certainly important, um, especially with, you know, as we mentioned, that life expectancy. So many of us are out of this world way too early, and it's important for us to acknowledge that and, and celebrate those people. But we also need to come together and be able to celebrate what we have. You know, those of us that are still on this earth that, you know, have our own trials and tribulations and things that we have to work through. Um but we also just need that visibility. And I think if nothing else that's coming out of this awful culture war is I think at the end of it, we're at least getting a lot more understanding out there in the discourse that's coming up through it. It's not easy. And there's certainly a lot of demonizing and stuff, but I think we can get there as long as we don't shut up.
Oh my. <laughs> well, thank you, Kevin. It was great to be here. If you want to learn more about Jaja Omai, you can check out their social media. We will include the links in our show notes so you can easily find them. Before we go, we want to remind you to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform, whether it's Apple, Audible, Amazon, Spotify, Google, or YouTube. And remember, the Trans Narrative Podcast, where we shift the trans narrative to a more inclusive and representative lens, space. With, uh, with an emphasis of accessibility, intersectionality, inclusion, diversity, and equity, we explore a variety of topics related to the queer community by building empathetic bonds through shared conversation and meaningful discourse. We are able to elevate often marginalized voices to the forefront and educate here on the Trans Narrative Podcast. Thanks for joining. I'm Kevin Werner. Take care. Bye.